Hello, and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Dr. Angela Lanfranchi. Welcome to our podcast. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. And I know you've done a lot of research and talked about the correlation between contraception and breast cancer or abortion and breast cancer. Can you just give a little back, bit of it? a little bit of background to our listeners about how you got involved in this research and why you started talking about it? Well, in the um, 80s, when I started to do, uh, well, actually, it was the 90s when I started to do more and more breast surgery and eventually limited my surgical practice to breast surgery, uh, I became concerned because I saw a lot of women in their 30s with breast cancer. And when I had left medical school, you know, in 75, it was grandma who got breast cancer. And it was a postmenopausal disease. They were older women. And yet, in one month, I saw three 30-year-olds that didn't have the BRCA mutation and a genetic reason to have breast cancer. So, you know, it was really heartbreaking because they had all three of them had young children, like in there, you know, that were two, three years old. So I started looking into um, risk factors. And uh, I always had on my um, uh, intake form, you know, uh, you know, exposure to hormones, things like that. But the reproductive history was just how many times were you pregnant? How many kids did you have? How many abortions, meaning miscarriages or induced abortions? But then in 1996, um, Joel Brind was the lead author on a meta-analysis of all the papers that were uh, published of uh, abortion and breast cancer. And that meta-analysis showed there was an overall 30% increased risk of breast cancer. So when that happened, I changed my intake form to ask, how many times were you pregnant? How old were you when you got pregnant? How did the pregnancy end? Did you have a live birth, stillbirth, miscarriage, abortion? And how many weeks were you when those things occurred? And what I found out when I started doing that, I had one 30-year-old that had seven pregnancies and five abortions and another one with five pregnancies and three abortions, and they had very aggressive breast cancer, and they died within a year or two. And so I started really becoming concerned, but nobody was really talking about it. And so... Um, I always used to go to one or actually up to three breast meetings a year to find out what's new. And I went to this really, really big conference down in Florida where they had 900 doctors, radiation therapists, oncologists, surgeons, radiologists, and they gave a talk on risk. And Judy Garber of uh, the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute uh, spoke about 20 minutes of her 30-minute lecture on 
the genetic risk. Now, BRCA, which is one of the most common, only accounts for about 6 to 8% of all breast cancers. So after the talk, I went up to her and I said, you know, you spent 20 minutes on on uh, a risk factor that doesn't affect very many people, and you didn't talk about abortion. And so she said, well, some studies say yes, some studies say no. I said, well, you really can't say that anymore because you see, and I pulled out a sheet of paper that said there were, that listed all of the ones that had been done to that day. And so she said, well, you really shouldn't talk to me. You should talk to the family docs and the OBGYNs that do the abortion. And I said, well, no, it, it, you know, they're not going to listen to me. I'm not a Harvard professor like you. And she said, well, it's really a pro-life, pro-choice issue. I said, no, it's not. Janet Daling did a big study for the National Cancer Institute in 94. She found an 800% increased risk in breast cancer with abortions in women 18 and under between 8 and 24 weeks pregnancy. And she she, well, by now, of course, she's getting uneasy. And she said, oh, Janet, I'm going to be seeing her at a conference. So I decided to, like, not make her lose it. And I said to her, I said, look, when you see Janet in a couple of weeks, you maybe you could talk to her about this. And then I'll call you in Boston. And, you know, and so she said, OK. And so my day off of work, because we always had to work weekends and stuff. So my day off was Wednesday. So every Wednesday I would call her up and, um, and then, you know, she wouldn't be in and she would call me back. So we did this for about six weeks or so. And then one day she called me back and I said to her, Oh, did you get to speak to Dr. Daling? And what do you think now after you, I gave you that sheet with all the literature on it? And she said, Look, I know it's a risk. I consider it in my evaluations, but I don't choose to talk about it. And if you want to talk about it, you go right ahead and you do research and write papers, but I'm not going to be doing that. And so, like, at that point, a tear is coming to my eye because I realized she knew about it all along. She just didn't want to address the subject. And so about, it wasn't long, maybe three weeks after that, Joel Brin called me up and said, hey, do you want to start a nonprofit? You know, and uh, the Breast Cancer Prevention Institute, we can talk about those issues and we could lower the incidence of breast cancer because you can't prevent a lot of it. You know, there are modifiable risk factors. So I was so annoyed at Judy that I decided <laughs> that was a great idea. So actually, our Breast Cancer Prevention Institute started at the 1999 April meeting of HLI in Toronto, where me, Joel Brind, um, John Bruchowski, and Bill Toffler, we made up the first board members of the Breast Cancer Prevention Institute. We got incorporated, and next year we're going to be 25 years old. So we've been doing research and putting out literature and presenting um, papers 
about this and trying to educate the public and, and doctors and things like that. So we've had an interesting 25 years. <laughs> well, thank you for doing that. And then for our listeners who just might not know that much about how breast cancer develops, can you give like super layman, easy version of yeah. how breast cancer develops so they have that context going forward in this conversation? Okay. So we've known since the Middle Ages that having a child was protective against you getting breast cancer. So at that point, only nuns got breast cancer because they were largely childless. So what is it about that? So if you look at that, look at cigarette smoke, uh, does smoking increase the risk of breast cancer? Well, the studies were all over the map. Some studies said yes, some studies said no, and some studies said it actually lowered so, like, what was happening? Well, it turns out that there was a very smart Canadian doctor. And what he did, what he, he separated women looking at smoking based on whether or not they had had a child. And if you had a child and smoked, what your risk was, was about a 69% increased risk. But if you hadn't had a child it was about a 640% increased risk. It was huge. So it makes a big difference. So exactly what is happening in your breasts? So everybody knows that as soon as they get pregnant, their breasts start to get bigger, right? And they get sore and tender. That was an early sign of pregnancy. And Robin Williams used to say he always knew when his wife got pregnant because the breast fairy would visit. And uh, so what's happening? Well, as soon as conception occurred and you just have a few cell embryo floating down the fallopian tube, it actually secretes HCG, human chorionic gonadotropin, and that's what the dipstick test for pregnancy is now. So HCG tells the mother's ovaries to put out a huge amount of estrogen and progesterone. And when that happens, your breasts start to grow. But what's growing? So when you're born, you have a few rudimentary uh, breast lobules, that's a unit of breast tissue with a duct and some glands or things that'll turn into the glands. And so you're born with type 1 lobules. And then you go through puberty and your breasts start to grow because you start having a menstrual cycle. And then at the end of puberty, about 75% uh, of your breast tissue is type 1 lobules and 25% are type 2 little more developed. But what's bad about that is type 1 lobules are where 85% of all breast cancers start. Those are ductal cancers. They start in the milk duct. And about 25, the, the other percent, the type 2 lobules is where lobular cancers start. That's about 15%. So now you're pregnant, your breasts are growing, but what they're making more of is type 1 and 2 lobules until 20 weeks. So you've doubled the amount of breast tissue. 
but they're targets for where breast cancers can start. And then what happens? Well, then the embryo starts putting out more human placental lactogen, HPL, because it wants to make that tissue into tissue that can make milk for the baby. And so that starts go going up after HCG really goes back down. And as time goes on between that 20 weeks at the middle of your, your uh, full-term pregnancy, at 20 weeks, your breasts stop getting bigger, but that HPL makes them differentiate. And they start turning that breast tissue into tissue that can make milk. And that happens up to around 32 weeks. And so if you get, if you have an abortion early on, before 32 weeks, all you have is breasts that have more places for cancers to start. And because there is more tissue with more places for cancer to start, you have a higher risk for breast cancer. But then something magic happens at 32 weeks where the HPL starts to level off, but more and more lobules get differentiated into type 4 lobules that uh, produce the milk. And that's what gives you the uh, protective effect of a full-term pregnancy. So everybody agrees that if you have a preterm birth before 32 weeks, it doubles your breast cancer risk. Everybody agrees that if you have a full-term pregnancy, you have a lower risk. Well, what's the difference between a preterm birth at 32, before 32 weeks and an abortion before 32 weeks? There's really no difference in terms of the breast physiology and the changes that the mother's breasts have gone through. It's the same. So, of course, it would increase breast cancer risk. And then you say, well, if that's true, then maybe if I have really early abortions, I'll have less of a risk. And that's actually true. Your risk goes up about 3% for every week's gestation until 32 weeks. If you give birth after 32 weeks, but before a full-term pregnancy, you still get a protective effect, but it's less, about 10% less than if you go full-term. That's interesting. So basically your breast tissue, when it's like immature in a sense with a type one and two, that's where you're most likely to have cancer start. And so up until those cells start turning or the tissue starts turning into the type four, that you're just like, as your breast tissue grows, it's increasing that risk. And then once it turns into the protective type, that's when you'll be safe. So basically if the pregnancy ends before 30, you said 32 weeks, that's going to increase your risk for breast cancer. But then if it continues all the way, it'll be safe. Yeah. Safer. Interesting. Isn't it? And all that breast physiology is well documented. I mean, I, Irma and Jose Russo, which were two Argentinian um, 
researchers that their last place where they worked was down in Philadelphia. And I used to talk to them, and they've asked me to come down and give a lecture, and they came up to our place and gave a lecture, and I knew them pretty well. And they're the ones that that found that there that there was that basis. Irma told me that you know a stand, you know how they have rat models of different diseases so they can experiment on the rats and not people. Yes. So there's a, a rat called the Sprague Dolly rat, and uh, she was buying some. And the person she was buying it from said, if you're going to do breast cancer research with these rats, make sure that they don't get pregnant first. And so she said, oh, so what she there was a chemical um, that they could give the rats and reliably produce breast cancer in them so they can study the cancers. So what she did was she gave rats with a litter of pups that chemical and they all got breast cancer. And she gave rats that she aborted this uh, the the uh, the the rats that got the chemicals after they had a litter of pups didn't get breast cancer because they, they were mature. Okay. But if she gave that chemical to aborted rats, they gave they developed breast cancers at a higher rate than the rats that were virgins. So there was something that was happening with the aborted rats that was different, even from the vir virgins. And she, she, that was, you know, there was more places for cancers to start. Yeah. And what's really fascinating is how much of behavior is changed with an abortion. I know a person uh, that's uh, uh, doing... Um, research at Steubenville, and um, she did an experiment where they gave, you know, rats a chemical abortion, you know, like with the, the abortion pill. And after the abortions, those rats sat in the corner, didn't groom themselves, didn't interact with other rats, didn't explore. They behaved differently. Hmm. So there's something happening at a deep physiologic level with abortion that whether or not you're thinking about it or, you know, happy, sad, whatever, there's a physiologic basis is that you're going to feel different. Interesting. Yeah. It makes sense that, like, I guess it's all an attack on womanhood. Like breasts are such a part of being a woman. And so is being a mother. And it's makes sense that if you have an abortion, which is like affecting, like you are killing your child, it's going to have an effect on parts of you that are so womanly in a sense, like into like God's great design in like a theological. Well, think design. about God's great design for, for this reason. One of the, uh, things that happens when you're pregnant so whenever cells rapidly multiply, mm -hmm. like the breast does getting bigger when you get pregnant, you have to quickly copy all that DNA. Mm -hmm. 
so that you can have a copy of the DNA in the cell and then split the cell and have two cells. That's how you grow. And so you're copying what's like a book really, really fast. So you know you're going to make a mistake. So the more rapidly you proliferate, the higher your risk of making a mutation. And if that the mutations build up or you make a critical mutation, a critical mutation is one that gives you cancer just from the get-go. It's like leaving the word not out of a sentence. It completely changes the whole meaning of that sentence. So what happens is uh, <laughs> the... Uh, that's a dangerous part. And you would think that women would get more breast cancer, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I actually don't. They actually, for every birth, they lower their risk another 10%. Wow. So how? why is that? Well, it's because the embryo, the fetus, is also producing a protein called inhibin. <laughs> And inhibin is a cancer suppressor. It helps you fix any mutations that you have. So that's an example how fearfully and wonderfully you're made. At the time that you're most vulnerable, the fetus is making it so that it's lowering your risk of getting breast cancer. And what's really interesting is, you know, HCG also made by the fetus, right? It's not made by the mother. When they're, they're using HCG to inject into breast cancers that have been biopsied and proven breast cancers, and the breast cancers regress. That was more uh, research that was being done by the Russos when they passed off. So it, it's, it, it's really interesting. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it how is, isn't it? it is. Yeah. And then can you speak a little bit to how contraceptives and birth control affect um, breast cancer and development, especially in young girls, but in anybody who uses it? Well, so when's the worst time to, to take uh, hormonal contraception? It's guessing in young girls, right? Right. Because their breasts are already growing. Mm -hmm. So... You may or may not know this, but uh, hormonal contraceptives uh, are have been classified as group one carcinogens, meaning they absolutely cause breast, cervical, and liver cancers in humans by the World Health Organization's International Agency on Research of Cancer. So if you Google I... ARC monograph 91 you'll you'll go to a site where you can actually download that and get all the data showing that it's a carcinogen so there are two mechanisms biologically that make it a, a carcinogenic in humans for breast one is that it it has it causes your breast cells to proliferate so you know how seven to ten days before your periods your breasts start to hurt you mm -hmm. well that's because you're after you ovulate you have you make a corpus luteum 
in the ovary and it produces progesterone. So now you have estrogen and progesterone around. You need both of them together to make your breast cells proliferate. So we just spoke about proliferation. You have to copy a bunch of DNA real fast. And you can make a mutation and those mutations build up or you make a critical mutation and you have cancer. That's one way. The other way is that the estrogen ha is a ringed uh, organic molecule that's got, you know, uh, six-sided uh, rings that are kind of lapped together. And um, there's 21 carbons. If you metabolize at the fourth carbon, you produce a genotoxin, 4-hydroxycatecholestrogen quinone. And we know that there are purine bases in DNA, and the purines make the, lat the rung of the ladder. It actually pulls purine bases out of DNA chain, so it's a direct carcinogen. And that's why the National Tax Toxicology Advisory Panel, which is part of our federal government, listed estrogen on its list of carcinogens the same uh, at, at the same time they listed, you know, wood dust giving you nose oral uh, nasopharyngeal cancers. So it, that those are the two biological. Um, mechanisms. And if you just think about it, people know the longer you have menstrual cycles, the longer they are. So you have menarche not when you're 13, but when you're nine. And then the longer you have the cycles, you go through menopause, not at 52, but at 60. You have all those extra years. That increases your risk. Early menarche, late medical pause increases your risk of breast cancer. That's because every time you go through a menstrual cycle, you're proliferating your breast tissue. Okay. And you're, you're making mutations. And if all that breast tissue is immature because you didn't have a kid yet, maybe, then it's really bad. So estrogen is very potent, and it's so potent, it's measured in parts per trillion. And there's a big ecologic problem that goes on, because if you have a water treatment plant where they take the, the uh, water that you flush down the toilet that has urine in it, well, they're good at taking the bacteria out before they dump it into the river, but they're not taking your birth control pill out. So when your ovary secretes uh, estrogen, one pass through the liver and it's metabolized. Mm -hmm. So you can't be popping pills all day. So they make uh, uh, a, a synthetic estrogen that's really hard to metabolize. And the only way to really get it out of your body is to pee it out in the urine. So think about this. 
there's enough birth control pill, estrogen, in the effluent from the water treatment plant, the sewage treatment plant, that when it gets in the river, downstream it ruins fisheries. Mm-hmm. All these fish have uh, ambiguous genitalia and they can't procreate. I mean, when you think about how much water there is in a river and it's flowing and, and that amount of estrogen is going to mess up the fish, you know that you're dealing with an incredibly potent uh, drug. Yeah. So basically the estrogen in contraceptives and birth control, it increases the estrogen in your body, which is what will cause your cells to proliferate and cause can and break down and potentially have cancer. Is that kind of generally? Yeah. It's, it? it's one is that when it's possible that some of it is broken down at the fourth carbon mm-hmm. where it creates a carcinogen catechol estrogen quinone, but most of the effect uh, that's carcinogenic is what you said. With the proliferation, you make mutations that will build up and cause cancer. How is that different than just the estrogen your body naturally makes? Is there a difference or is it just that you're putting estrogen? Well, that's what I was saying to you. You know, you think of estrogen as this wonderful thing that allows women to be women, to get breasts, have kids. Mm-hmm. But the more you're exposed to it in your lifetime, the higher your risk. Okay. So that's the point I was making with the more cycles you have. Yeah. It's natural. You're doing something natural. You're having a menstrual cycle. But it does involve proliferating your breast tissue. Okay. So there's going to be a risk either way. It's just with contraceptives, you're increasing that risk more because you're putting it in your body regularly. You have estrogen in your body even after menopause because your fat makes it. Okay. That's why postmenopausal obesity increases breast cancer risk because you have all that extra fat making estrogen. And estrogen is going to cause you to get, you know, too much of a good thing can cause a problem. That makes sense. I just wanted to make sure that I understood exactly what you were saying with that. So anyway, do you have anything else you'd like to share with our listeners on this subject today before we wrap up? Uh, about what? About the... about either all the topics we've been talking about with breast cancer and reproductive health, all of that. Well, you could think about the young girls that got, you know, usually teenagers have irregular cycles. Irregular cycles are fewer cycles, so it actually is protective of uh, of breast cancer. So mother will say, okay, you're having irregular cycles. I'll take you to the doctor and we'll fix that up. And they give you the pill. Or you have acne mm-hmm. and they'll give you the pill. Or you have painful periods and they'll give you the pill. All those things can be treated by other drugs that aren't group one carcinogens. So this teenager's getting irregular periods. And so when she misses, she thinks, oh, it's just me. And she misses again. Next thing you know, she's in the second trimester. So these teenagers are going for second trimester abortions because you wouldn't want to ruin her life, right? So they abort her. And now she's got an 800% increased risk of breast cancer. 
and they're aborting her probably before 32 weeks, so she's got a lot of breast tissue. And then they say to her, oh, we don't want to have that happen again, right? So, and you're kind of frisky. We won't trust you to take a pill every day. So let's give you the Depo-Vivera shot. And we only have to capture you three every three months for that. And Depo-Vivera doubles your risk of breast cancer. So it's like a double whammy for those women. So you have 9 million women taking the pill and another 3 million women taking the other formulations. So you have 12 million women in this country taking hormonal contraceptives. 85% of women in this country have taken them at some time in their lifetime. And that's why you have an extra... 452,000 cases of breast cancer a year that's attributable to hormonal contraceptives. It's crazy. Yeah, that is So crazy. you could you can get that you can get all that information at the website uh mm-hmm. the Breast Cancer Prevention Institute website and you can download it for yeah. free. Awesome. Well, not awesome that it happens, but awesome that that information's out there. But there, uh, a group of doctors and and PhDs got together called the Contraceptive Study Group, and it was put together by Dr. William Williams. Okay. And uh, we put together an FDA petition and submitted it in uh, May of 2019. And uh, we showed all of the diseases that you get from uh, hormonal contraceptives. And we um, asked them to change the labeling of the insert of the manufacturer and for the patient so that people would be aware of these risks. There's over 1 million excess cases of diseases caused by the pill, even taking into the account the reduction that you could have in ovarian and endometrial cancer. And the cost of treating all those diseases is $16.8 billion a year. Wow. So there's a lot of disease, and a lot of people don't know about the things like systemic lupus, and Crohn's disease, and ulcerative colitis, and osteoporosis, and all the cardiovascular effects like strokes, pulmonary emboli, and things like that, heart attacks. They don't realize that. So that entire petition with all the data is also on our website. And about a year ago, the FDA responded in terms of breast cancer risk. And they said, oh, okay, you know, new studies have come out. And so we're going to change the manufacturer's insert this way to reflect this new data. Wow. At least they've admitted that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really interesting topic of conversation. I'm really glad to have your expertise talking about it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, please like, follow, subscribe, whether you're listening on YouTube, Rumble, or any of our audio platforms, share with your friends and keep on living the culture of life. Thank you and God bless.